Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, boys. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild Season 2, Episode 15. This is your host, Blem. What's going on, guys? It's Mike D. And it's Taco Tuesday, Blake. I hope you got some today because I had six of them bad boys down my neck. I haven't even eaten dinner yet. You haven't eaten dinner yet, and it's nine ten. Why not? Yeah, I went to the gym, and then I had to prepare more for this podcast, so I'm practically famished at this point. But I do have a pot roast that I will be snacking on after this episode. He had that same thing for dinner last night. Yes, leftovers. Leftovers are key. I also have leftover spaghetti for lunch tomorrow at work. Sounds good. Sounds appetizing. Yes. Uh, anyways, Poopus will not be joining us tonight. He is busy with schoolwork. He's got some exams coming up. So we hope to have him back on next week. But anyways, guys, thanks for joining us for tonight's episode. Please give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe, rate, and review to MLS Gone Wild anywhere you listen to podcasts. Over the past couple of months, we have had the pleasure of interviewing some of the brightest young stars in the MLS, including Brendan Aronson, Cole Bassett, Tanner Tessman, and Aiden Morris. If you get a chance, please go back and give those a listen. Now, Mike D, let's get into this week's episode. We have made it. This will be our last podcast before the playoffs are set. Five matches Wednesday, then all 26 teams play on decision day. On Sunday, the playoff bracket will be set and the Supporters' Shield champion will be crowned. Toronto and Philadelphia sit atop the entire league on 44 points and two points per game, six points ahead of Columbus and Portland. Although any of those teams could sneak into the picture with two wins and both Toronto and Philadelphia losing. Philadelphia hosts New England on ABC at 3.30 p.m. and New York Red Bulls hosts the Reds of Toronto at the same time on Sunday. Philly have defeated the Revs in their last two matchups, and Red Bull and Toronto tied their lone 2020 matchup. So let's get into tiebreakers, because that could very well happen. If two or more of these teams end up tied at the top of the table, the first tiebreaker is wins per game, and that would be number of wins divided by the total number of games played. After that, if the teams are still tied, the next tiebreaker is goal differential per game, and that would be total goal differential divided by the total number of games played. So Mike D., who do you see lifting the Supporters' Shield trophy on Sunday? I think this is pretty cut and dry. Toronto is right there, obviously, with Philly, but this has kind of been Philly's year. They have been a very improved team under Jim Curtin. They've got a lot of weapons, and I think it's their trophy to lose. They're going up against a New England team that just came off of a big win against a D.C. United team that was rolling. Philly is coming off of a big loss to the Columbus crew that they probably feel that they should have won. So they're going to come out fired up, ready to get after it against the New England Revolution. And New England Revolution need to keep the focus from their last game because Philly's not the same beast that they played in D.C. United. So for me, it's Philly that's going to raise that trophy. They kind of deserve it in my eyes. Toronto obviously is sitting right there, so they could do it given that, you know, Philly loses and some other things happen as well. But Columbus and Portland kind of need miracles to happen with the wins per game and the goal differential. I mean, so it's, it's Philly in my eyes. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I do think it will be Philly as well. 
but to talk about Philly and they have been great this year, but against the top four, they're one, three, and one with their one win coming against Toronto FC about a month ago when they beat them five nil. They also lost to Toronto. But like I said, I also think Philadelphia is going to win it. Jim Curtin and the Philadelphia Union have never won or lifted a trophy. So, and Brendan Aronson came out in his presser right after he got announced to go to Red Bull Salzburg that he wanted to bring two trophies to the Union before he went overseas to Austria. And he can make good on his promise on Sunday if they come out and play well. Uh, they also, like you said, they haven't lost to the Revs this year. And they're perfect at Subaru Park. The Sons of Ben are going to be there. There's people in the stadium. Uh, so Philadelphia is going to be fired up. You know, the Eagles are pretty bad this year. So I know the, the Philadelphia fans are starting to really get behind the union as they should. And like you said, against the crew, you know, even though they didn't win, they came in fired up. They had, I believe, 22 shots to the crew seven. They had Eloy Room absolutely standing on his head. So they looked like a team that was motivated to win. They just unfortunately hit the post a couple times, and Eloy Room was Phenomenal. Looking, looking like a top three goalkeeper in the league. So hats off to Eloy for getting us that dub. That was a big one for the crew. But like you said, I think this is Philadelphia's to lose, although their record against the top four isn't great. I think they deserve to win this trophy, and I would, I would like to see them finally – after all these years, lift their first ever trophy, and then maybe even have a chance to win the double, go get themselves an MLS Cup on December 12th, you know? Yeah, it's a very unbiased opinion from yourself, but I am going to say that I would love to see Columbus lift that trophy at the end of the year, but we'll let Philly take this one. Before we move on, though, want to backtrack just a little bit. Shouts to the Supporters' Shield Foundation for reinstating the Supporters' Shield trophy. Back last week or two weeks ago, news broke that they were not going to be awarding this trophy because a lot of it was based around fans and their participation. And with the fans not being able to be in the stadiums, they felt it wasn't something that was worthy of handing out this year. Very quickly and very fast did the fans all around the United States come out and say how and even some of the players, too, come out and say how – I mean, Brendan Aronson, just like you said, after his presser that he wanted to lift those two – you know, bring home two trophies before he left, very excited for the contention of this, this trophy. And so shouts to them for, for listening to the fans, listening to the players, and reinstating that trophy for the end of the year. Yeah, I actually had that in my notes, too, and I skipped right over because you had me so excited to talk about Philadelphia. But navigating the 2020 season wasn't easy. And this trophy is just a testament to the winner's dedication and consistency. And really, this is the best team in the regular season. We're both Premier League fans. I'm an Arsenal fan. You're a Liverpool fan. So the Supporter Shield is actually the Premier League trophy, you know, for the Prem. It's who can withstand the whole season and come out on top. So I think that is big time. And, you know, playoffs are – the MLS is very Americanized because of playoffs. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I am glad that the Supporters' Shield is back and that did instill some more competition in finishing the rest of the season, and it gave it an incentive – it incentivized the, the back half of the season. But – and, you know, it didn't just incentivize it for Philly. We talked a little bit about Toronto. Toronto won the double. They won – they've only won one Supporters' Shield, and that was in 2017. That year they also won the MLS Cup. 
you know, the Columbus crew, they, like we said, you know, there's a very far out chance that them or Portland can win it. But for Columbus, Mike, Mike, to you and I talked about it before the podcast, the Columbus crew prioritized getting healthy, I think, over winning a supporter's shield. And the only person that's left on that injury list is Vito Warmgore. You know, Aiden Morris is back. Nagby's back. Zell is back. Eloy Room is definitely back. Uh, and we can't, unfortunately, say the same thing for Portland. You know, Niesgada is out. Just tore his, his ACL. Sebastian Blanco is also out. And I was digging through some stats on Niesgada. He's only played in 602 minutes for Portland, and he has scored seven goals and had an assist. And those are incredibly efficient numbers for a striker. And good news for Portland is Jeremy Abobasi is going to be coming back. The Timbers Army, I believe, just voted him the player of the year for Portland, and they're going to get him back just in time for the playoffs. So I, although I don't think I see Columbus or Portland sneaking in to win the Supporters' Shield, I think both of these teams are focused on the playoffs, and Portland should be. Gio Savarisi's team won the MLS's back tournament. They are proven winners, so we got to watch out. So we saw it with Columbus in the way that we have seen them play this season and some of the recent games that they've played up until the most recent loss to D.C. You know, kind of clicked for me then when I was like, okay, I was focused on the supporter shield. I was – wanting them to win every single game so that they could be in contention for that supporter shield. But it clicked for me that just because they don't win the supporter shield doesn't mean that it's over. You know, they got guys coming back off injury, Nagby, Zella, and Eloy Room is, is outstanding right now. And really there's still one really big trophy to be won and that's the MLS cup. So after I came to that realization, I was like, you know what? It's fine. Play slow. Don't lose the game, you know, going forward, be smart, stay healthy, and then we can still compete for that MLS Cup trophy. And I think, to, to your point, exactly the same thing is for the Portland Timbers. Philly and, and Toronto are focused more on what's at hand at the moment, which is that supporter's shield. Yeah, and obviously both of those teams are focused on winning the MLS Cup as well. But like I said, the crew are getting healthy at the right time going into the playoffs, and we were all riding a high you know, July, August, where the crew were sitting atop of the Supporters' Shield standings, atop of the MLS, and then Room, Zella, and Nagby all got injured, and we were like, well, we're losing all these points. We haven't won in, like, six games. You know, what's going on? But they were trying to make do with what we had, and, you know, this whole season has been about who has depth. Portland has proven that since Blanco's went out. Now Nieszgada goes out. And they have Jeremy Abobasi coming in. You know, we had depth, but we didn't have enough depth, I don't think, to continue to win those games that we should win when those guys are healthy. So maybe not, you know, I got Philly winning the Supporters' Shield. You got Philly winning the Supporters' Shield. Who knows? One team could slip up. Philly could slip up. Toronto, Toronto wins it. They've won it before. Philly hasn't. So we'll see. But Philly's chasing that first trophy. Rather than awarding the team with the highest overall points the shield, the team with the highest points per game will lift the shield. The same can be said about overall seeding going into the playoffs. Rather than seeding teams based off of total points, teams will be ranked on their points per game. Teams such as the Colorado Rapids have played up to six games less than other teams in the league and would be eliminated already if it were based on total points. But now they have a chance to jump even higher in the Western Conference standings with a pair of wins on Wednesday and Saturday, if that happens. 
there's a lot of controversy buzzing around the MLS world on whether or not this is the right and fair decision. Thoughts on this, Mike D? To me, this is one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't situations, Chuck. There's going to be controversy on either side of the coin. Look, 2020 has been an absolute roller coaster of a ride, and the league has had to do some, some crazy things and adjust and adapt with things taking a turn, especially late in the season. They didn't just go out on a whim and make this decision. You know, I'm sure that they sat down, they had conversations, and they did what they felt was best for the league and the circumstances um, at hand at the moment. There's a lot of controversy, like you said, and some teams that cannot man. you know, some say that teams that can't manage COVID well shouldn't be rewarded when they haven't been able to play the same amount of games. And yes, there's some validity in that. However, COVID, you could do all the right things and you, you don't really know what's going to happen. You can't just base that argument on the fact that a team didn't manage COVID well because a team probably could do everything in their power to manage COVID and they still get COVID. But in my opinion, really, what's the, the alternative? I mean, you're going to knock these teams out that didn't play the same number of games. You do that, and then you get into a much larger trickle effect of other teams that played those teams that you're knocking out, and then what do you do with those points? And it becomes a much larger issue. And so I get it. With it, with it being the MLS, people will say they should be able to handle that kind of situation, and you're right but we have never experienced anything like this year. Nobody could have prepared for this. And with the little time that they had to do it with the playoffs right around the corner, I think the MLS and everybody involved has done an outstanding job adapting as quickly as they've been able to adapt. I think the objective this year was to try to get through the season with as little COVID impact as possible. And I think for the most part that happened. Up until now, obviously, we've seen, you know, teams like Colorado who missed a bunch of games. But I would argue that it's been a massive success. And we've heard people like Taylor Twelman say that, you know, they've paved the way and trailblazed this way for the return to sport in 2020. In order to keep things as close to this new normal as possible and to make it to the end of the season, I think this is a good alternative. I think, yes, it's unfortunate that, Teams that have played lesser games are sneaking into the playoff position, but there, there could have been other alternatives. I just think that this is something that we can focus on as a solution at the moment right now, get through the season, and then hopefully COVID will go away and we can go back to normal. I hope so. I'm fine with the points per game. I'm not exactly thrilled with the timing of the announcement only being a couple of weeks prior to the playoffs actually happening. So the timing is kind of almost feels fishy to me, but like I said, Colorado's playing up to six games less than a lot of teams, not only in the Western conference, but around the league. So for me, something that I would have proposed and I've seen other people talk about the same things is a minimum number of games played rule. So you know, having a setting a minimum number of games. And if you don't meet that number of games, you can't be eligible to make the playoffs. I'm fine with the points per game, but I think that is something that needs to be implemented because with Colorado playing less games, even if they have less wins than other teams, their points per game can still be higher. And like I said, with the announcement coming so late, it almost feels like the MLS is saving the Colorado Rapids and screwing over the Vancouver Whitecaps. 
to be honest with you, because on strictly points, Vancouver would occupy the final playoff spot going into Wednesday, and now they're below the playoff line. So while I agree that points per game is good, I think there's other stipulations and details that should go into this decision. And I understand that it's an unprecedented time. Like you said, you can't control COVID. You couldn't control Colorado. You know, they were going to come back a couple times, and then two or three more games got postponed. COVID rears its naked or its ugly head on – it can happen to anyone at any time. So, although it can't be controlled, I think the MLS can control how they deal with it. And they are controlling it, but I think they could do a little bit better by implementing a minimum game rule. I, I think I agree with you on the fact that they could have come out a little bit sooner. And I don't think that the, that proposal is a bad proposal at all. There's going to be – people that say this, there's going to be people that say that. Unfortunately, it's something that is out of our control. It is what it is. We have the format that we have now. It sucks that, you know, teams were pushed out and, and Colorado got in. Um, but I, I really don't, I really don't know. I and mean, that's kind of the theme of, <laughs> of 2020 is, is I don't really know. It's, it's hit us hard and, it's continued to hit us and hasn't really let up. So it's taken its toll on everybody, and I'm sure it's taken its toll on the MLS as well. So I think that could there be an alternative? Yes, of course. Um, are there proposed alternatives? Yes. Uh, I'm not totally upset about the points per game. It's just unfortunate for a few teams that are, that are making it in. And, hey, if Colorado goes all the way, people are really going to be upset. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, though, would you rather watch Colorado in the playoffs or would you rather watch Vancouver? I would – me personally, I'd rather watch Colorado. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, most of MLS fans would say the exact same thing, and that's why I said it almost feels like the MLS is saving Colorado a little bit. Mm, yes, yes. A little bit of conspiracy there. 2020 is a big conspiracy, yes. <laughs> so news came out over the weekend that the USL championship title game between the Tampa Bay Rowdies and Phoenix Rising would be canceled due to Rowdies players and staff testing positive for COVID-19. At halftime of the crew and Philly game, Taylor Twelman stated how well the U.S. did or how well the MLS did in trailblazing the return to sport with the MLS's back tournament in the bubble in Orlando. And he asked the hypothetical question of whether or not the MLS should consider a bubble for the upcoming playoffs. So, Mike D., should the MLS consider a bubble to ensure the MLS final can be played on December 12th? First, uh, to speak on what you said in the beginning there, it's a shame to see what happened to the USL championship title game. And I'm not an expert in USL at all by any means, but something tells me that it may have had to do with finances a little bit. Um, again, not sure. My biggest question is why wouldn't they have tried to just wait and push this game out a little bit further? But that's a conversation that we can get into another time. Taylor Twelman, like you said, brings up a great point. But for me, it's, it's like we can't sit here and think that the MLS didn't already run this scenario through their heads. You know, uh, what happens if we get to this point and COVID rears its head? Uh, maybe they haven't, but I'd be shocked if they didn't. And it may be too late to prepare for a bubble at this point, but maybe not. There may not be enough resources at the moment, but the turnaround would, would have to be so fast. And I'm not sure that it could happen that quick. And even if something like this was to happen, I would hope that the MLS would find a try – excuse me, try to find an alternative rather than simply canceling the cup. 
I saw tweets from some of the USL players and they were devastated because of the work that they put in only to get to a point where they could only be crowned the conference champion. And that sucks when you've worked as hard as you've worked to get all the way up to the final game to be crowned a champion possibly. And then they rip that from you at the last moment. Again, the timing is, is awful. But my thing is if it does happen, there's got to be an alternative where you can push the timeline out just a little bit further and still have that game happen. There has to be. Yeah, I agree. It's, it is a shame what happened to the USL, but we have already seen success of a bubble. We've seen a full tournament go through. It was very unfortunate for FC Dallas and Nashville. Unfortunately, they never even got to play a game in the bubble. They showed up and immediately upon arriving in Orlando, players started popping positive. So they had to wait two weeks. But after the tournament started rolling, we saw a successful tournament. It kind of went on without a hiccup. And if you are the MLS, you've done such a great job. Why put the playoffs in the MLS Cup final in jeopardy? If, for whatever reason, the same thing would happen that happened to the USL, this season would be a complete failure. Despite all the success they've had, if it gets to the point where the USL championship has gotten to the final between the Rowdies and Phoenix Rising, and whether that be against, you know, the Timbers and the crew this year, rematch of 2015, I think, and players start testing positive, and for whatever reason they don't push it back and they just cancel it, that's a complete failure by the MLS. And like I said in the lead-up to this question, it is a hypothetical. At this point, I do think it is probably too late to be able to logistically roll this thing out. The MLS is back tournament in Orlando at the Disney Wide World of Sports took months to plan out. They had from like March to July to plan this thing out. So if, and I follow the athletic pretty closely, if the athletic hasn't heard anything and pushed anything out, uh, then it's, then it probably hasn't happened. But I think it is a very good hypothetical question because we have had to try to find a new normal to sport here in the U.S. And I did say in the lead up, and we both said that the MLS kind of trailblazed the return to sport, but the NWSL did the same exact thing and they did a bubble. NBA did a bubble. So we've seen the success and what it can do. And if you want to ensure that your season is going to finish successfully, maybe you do a bubble. And for me, I think maybe it's not even just one bubble. I'm not just saying go down to Orlando. You know, I think Disney Wide World of Sports and Disney are actually back open. So that's not even possible. And these facilities might not even be available at this point because of people trying to get back to the new normal. But if the MLS could do an Eastern conference bubble and a Western conference bubble, and then play a neutral site game or something like that, I think that would also be a good option. And I'm sure these are all options. Like you said, Mike, the MLS and Don Garber Wade, but I don't think there's enough time to get it done, but we saw, like, we've seen this with Colorado. Like, Colorado, everything was going smoothly after MLS is back, and then, bam, they're back, like, six games. They don't play for a whole entire month. They miss a month of soccer. And that could happen to any team once they get to the final or once they get to the semifinal. And then once you get that far and if your season just crumbles in front of your eyes and you're Don Garber, you would be kicking yourself if you weren't, you know, prior to trying to find a solution and, and play a bubble for the MLS Cup playoffs. I agree. I would love to see an Eastern Conference and Western Conference bubble within a neutral site for the Cup. That would be amazing. I would love to see that aerial shot again of fields like we saw 
back at the MLS's back tournament. That that shot will be forever burned in my mind. And every time I see something like that, I always think about it. But don't you miss it? Before we go any further, don't you miss that tournament? I, I do. I do. There's something there's something it's almost it's almost nostalgic. Like when I look back and I remember what happened at the beginning of this year, or excuse me, halfway through the year, remembering those shots and seeing, you know, stuff that reminds me of it, it's it's almost a nostalgic feeling. But the the point that I wanted to talk about was you said something that I, I agree with 100%. The MLS has done such a great job of getting to this point. If it was to cancel the MLS Cup because of something like this, it would be an absolute failure. All the good things that have been talked about, there would be so much backlash. And I think that they need to – if they haven't already, and like I said, this, this has to be something that they talked about. They have to have some sort of plan in place that if this does go down, okay, this is plan B. So I'm sure that that's just information we're not privy to, but it would be an absolute failure if they did not have something up their sleeve like that for a situation like this. And it wasn't just Colorado. We've seen other games recently get postponed and games get canceled. And that's the reason why teams aren't playing the same number of games. So it can happen. A staff member can pop positive. I think the MLS has done a good job with the protocols, flying there, day of game, leaving, flying out after, after the match, l- letting a limited capacity of fans into the stadium. Like their protocols are good. Players and staff are still being tested on a very regular basis. So they're doing everything they can. It's just unfortunate. You just can't control this thing. But the most controlled environment for me is a bubble. Yeah. And something just popped in my head. I mean, I'm thinking about England and the Premier League, and I, I can't tell the last time I heard anything about COVID in the Premier League or anything in England. I mean, I don't follow England news too much, but I haven't heard anything really about COVID in England. And so I know that the MLS is doing their best and teams are doing their best. I think it's more about us on the outside. So we need to shape up, people. Yeah, stay safe, stay home, wear a mask, okay? Right. And I hope you guys, and I hope you guys got out and voted today. It's one of the most important things you guys can do as an American. Listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. We will be back in 60 seconds to talk about who would get our vote for MLS Young Player of the Year, the Golden Boot Race, and our preview of the Columbus Crew versus Orlando City SC match. Catch y'all in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? Added Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands that let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible, elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond. Each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild Season 2, Episode 15. Thanks for sticking around. Be sure to head over to AdditimeOutfitters.com to get all your soccer-inspired wristbands and stickers. Use promo code GONEWILD 
all one word, G-O-N-E-W-I-L-D, at checkout to receive 10% off your entire order. This past week, the MLS announced there will no longer be an award for the MLS Rookie of the Year, but instead they will be awarding the MLS Young Player of the Year Award to the best player 22 years of age or under. We've said it a lot on our podcast since the return to play, but 2020 is the year of the Play Your Kids movement. Guys such as Brennan Aronson, Ayo Akinola, Daryl DK, Cole Bassett, Brian Rodriguez, Gianluco Busio, and others have stolen the show. For you, Mike D, who is the MLS Young Player of the Year and why? Daryl friggin' DK, my guy. You already knew. Daryl DK. You want to ask me why? I already asked you why. You want to ask me why, Chuck? I'm going to tell you why. Orlando, nobody had any idea what Orlando was going to do this year. If I remember correctly, Orlando hasn't made it above seventh place in the standings since they've joined the league in 2015. Fast forward now to 2020. Oscar Pereja takes charge. MLS is back tournament. This is a different Orlando team that we've seen. Dom Dwyer's the starter. Yeah, Dom Dwyer was very underwhelming. Then we see a little bit of Tesho Akindeli, and then we got this guy, Daryl DK, who's sitting third on the bench. Don't really see a whole lot of him. Gets minutes here and there. Dom Dwyer goes down. Tesho goes down. Now it's DK's turn to step up to the plate. This guy comes out guns a-blazing. Takes the, the, the starting spot by storm, absolutely runs with it. And now we're looking at a guy who's got seven goals and four assists in just over 1,000 minutes played. His movement off the ball, his runs that he makes, his intelligence, his finishing, his size, he's huge. For me, he's been the difference maker along with many other players for Orlando. They've got a great team, you know, Nani, Mueller, um, Perea in the middle. They've got, they've got a great team. But you need somebody that's going to score goals and contribute to the goal-scoring effort. And with seven goals and four assists, this young player, for me, is the guy who needs to take this award home. So I want to ask you a question. Their very last game, Daryl DK scored the game winner. Which was better, the Pereira ball or the Daryl DK run? Oh, the Pereira ball, absolutely. The Pereira ball, that, the vision to play that man through. First of all, the run. The, the awareness to see Pereira with the ball and then make that run. As soon as DK looks back, you, it's almost like there was just this connection where Pereira says, oh, my God, he's about to do it. He takes a step, and as soon as he takes a step, he plays that ball in there through. Oh, absolute dime. Fantastic from both those lads. Yeah, Mike D., you know I'm a sucker for a good diagonal run. And a lot of times, Daryl DK is – people stereotype him for his size. And, oh, he's just a big guy, a big bully in the box, you know, and he can win headers and just he does the tough stuff. No, his build-up play and his soccer IQ is phenomenal. And you see that on that play. Like you said, to have that connection with Pereira – was great, but Daryl DK wasn't even on the center backs. Like he wasn't, uh, you know, the furthest man up the field. He was actually in the midfield. And when Pereira picked up that ball, he went on a dead sprint and split the two center backs with a diagonal run. And then he finished it cool as you'd like, you know. And so that's just a testament to Daryl DK and his spatial awareness on the field and what he can do off the ball 
not only in the build-up play, but it was an absolutely phenomenal goal. And, the, run, and, the diagonal run is the most lethal run in soccer. You heard I'm it here. Telling, yeah, absolutely. Between the two center backs, two slow center backs, and Daryl DK's big, fast, he's a physical presence, like you're not going to stop him. It's hard to defend. Yeah, it's almost impossible to defend. you got to talk. you got to pass him on to the next defender, and by the time that happens, he's already slipped in behind, and if that ball is played at the perfect time, he's already in, just like Daryl DK was. But, but, Mike D, right after the MLS is back tournament, after we got exposed a little bit more to Daryl DK, even before we were really exposed to Daryl DK, we were kind of calling on Orlando City because we knew they had promise, but we knew they didn't have a number nine. And we were saying, hey, maybe they should go out and spend some money on a, another designated player or you know, make a trade within the MLS. They need to bring somebody in. And for a short period of time, it looked like it was Tesho. But Daryl DK, like you said, with 11 goal contributions, has jumped onto the scene. So is he their number nine for the foreseeable future? Absolutely, 100%. He is their guy. He's only going to get better. He's young. He's riding this wave right now. He's confident. And under Oscar Pereja, the sky is the limit with this kid. I absolutely see him busting it wide open next season. And, I mean, he's got, he's got I think, two games left, right? Uh, two games left, maybe one, two, two. games. Too. And he's got a chance to uh, to put some more on the back of the net. And who knows? I mean, he, the, the kid's phenomenal. He, the sky's the limit for him, and I think it's it's amazing what he's been able to do. And he's going to be a star coming in the in, in the MLS coming up in these next few years. Absolutely. If he doesn't go away, that is. And I think that would be a good move for him from his rookie season and what he's been able to, the numbers he's been able to produce on the field and. Just if teams go back and look at his tape and see how well-rounded he actually is, like I've already said probably five times in the past five minutes with his build-up play, his hold-up play, his distribution, and just his overall physicality and his ability to be a number nine in the MLS and flourish as a young kid that just graduated out of UVA and I think was drafted, I think, fifth to Orlando. But like I said, he's a big physical presence, and so is another 20-year-old, A.O. Akinola. So he has scored nine goals and he's filled Josie Altidore's void very well this season to keep Toronto FC in second place in the supporter shield race, like we've talked about. So IO only has nine goal contributions. Daryl has 11. Why did you pick Daryl over IO? Because of the assists. That was really it for me. I, I wanted to honestly go with, because Brendan Aronson's in that running too. And I wanted to go with him, but Brendan Aronson's been getting too much. He's been getting too much. You know, he's going away. Congrats to him. He's had a fantastic season. But for me, it's not just about goals, and it's not just about goal contribution, but it's also what you are to your team. If you take Brendan Aronson off that team, Philly is still a fantastic team. They can put somebody else in that spot to do exactly what he's doing. Maybe not as well as him, but they could find a way to to reproduce that. And I'm – probably going to get some slack for that but um for me I I didn't want to give it to Brendan Aronson and when I compared Io to Daryl you have Daryl who came out of college got drafted and made an immediate impact when called upon to do that as a really recent college player at the pro level against some veterans out there for me that's really what did it is to be that player that really takes the opportunity and runs with it 
Io, of course, did the very same thing, scored nine goals. But for me, then the next step was, okay, he also contributed to goals with the four assists. And his efficiency. He's got, I think, something like nine shots on target, and he's got seven goals and four assists. Granted, he's taken like 23 shots. Nine of those shots have been on target, and four of them, or seven of them, excuse me, have gone in the back of the net. So he's extremely efficient. And then the contribution, like I said, with the assists. So that makes that well-rounded player that we talked about. Yeah, I think it's a difficult decision to make, to be honest with you, because they're both great 20-year-olds in their own in their own regards and based essentially in the same regards. They're very similar type players. Just Io doesn't have, you know, the same number of assists. He can't, he is a technical player. He may not have exhibited it so far this season. He's more of a goal scorer and he's had to play that role. He scored more than a quarter of Toronto's goals for the season as just a 20 year old. And in saying that both of those guys, Daryl DK and Io Akinola have both, filled in big roles, like we've already said, Daryl DK filling in for Tesho and Dom Dwyer. And for a lot of the season, we have not seen Josie Altidore. And Io Akinola, who actually just came back from injury, has been the guy for that team up front and is going to be the guy they probably count on through the playoffs. So I think that's a really tough decision to make between those two guys. But I completely understand, as a central midfielder, why you value that distribution. Of course. But, yeah, it is. It's a tough argument for sure. Io's done a fantastic job scoring the nine goals. And to your point, he's more of a, it's a – he's a gunner. He's looking for the goal, and he's only looking for the goal. And I think that with DK, it's nice to see a little bit both of those, you know, looking to give the ball away and, get, and allow others to score goals and put them into opportunities where they can finish and then also finish himself. But, my goodness, that last game for Toronto when Io Akinola absolutely bodied Alvis Powell for Miami <laughs> – Alvis Powell is a veteran in this league, and Io, the 20-year-old, absolutely bodied this kid. Yeah. And, that's, and that's not the first time he's done it, folks. He finds himself getting in, in one-on-one situations with the goalkeeper a lot because he's just a lot stronger than the last defender. But for me, my MLS Young Player of the Year, I got to shout out Mike D because I read this whole thing wrong. I thought it was under 22, but it's actually 20, 22 or younger. So my 2020 MLS Young Player of the Year has scored 41 regular season goals in his three years in the MLS and is currently leading the Golden Boot Race with 13 goals in this unprecedented 2020 season. He was named to the 2019 MLS All-Star team and recently received a call-up to the Uruguay national team for World Cup qualifiers. Diego Rossi has LAFC currently in the fifth place in Western Conference, scoring over a quarter of their goals. Diego Rossi gets my vote for 2020 MLS Young Player of the Year. And I don't think you can argue with it. I, I can't. I don't know that I can argue with it other than my own personal preference. I think that, of course, it's fantastic. I think, it, what is it, he scored 13 or 14 goals? 13. 13 goals. He's taken something like 61 shots, 30 of them on target. My thing, that the reason that I selected Daryl DK over Diego Rossi Daryl DK has played something like, I think, 1,088 minutes. Diego Rossi has played 500 more minutes than, than this man. Let's think if, if Daryl DK had 500 more minutes under his belt, very possible that he's got 13 or 14 goals. That was my logic behind selecting him. And obviously being his first year in the league, coming out and, and stepping into a role that like he did, 
that was the reason all of those things made up my reasoning why I chose him. But at the end of the day, goals most of the time win titles or, or awards like this, excuse me. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Um, but ultimately it's very possible that Rossi definitely, he wins it, especially with his, his performance in the MLS's back tournament. Yeah, Diego Rossi, not only is he in the leading for the Golden Boot Race and the 2020 uh, Young Player of the Year Award Race, he's also probably up for the 2020 MVP race as well for LAFC. We haven't seen a lot of Carlos Vela. Carlos Vela didn't play in the MLS's back tournament. I believe his wife was pregnant, so he's been out dealing with that. And I think he, he had a knock as well. So we actually just saw him come back like a week or two ago. So LAFC and Atlanta – you know, we're so used to seeing them flourish. And now we see LAFC, they've clinched a playoff spot, but only the fifth playoff spot. A year ago, we saw them come in first. So I think just Diego Rossi's ability to continue to score and keep this team afloat in the absence of Carlos Vela is awesome by him. And it's exactly what they needed. Without him, they wouldn't be anywhere close to where they're at. Like I said, he scored a quarter of their goals. So... For me, I think it's a, it's a no-brainer. I almost forgot about him. I thought he was a little bit older. I misread the, the verbiage of what went into this award. But I think it's got to be Diego Rossi for me. Yeah, it's not a bad pick. Not a bad yeah. pick. Especially with, like you said, LAFC being as injury-ridden as, as they had been pretty much all season long for him to keep them afloat is, is pretty gnarly. Um, out to West in the midfield being a huge contributor to distribution being out for, for quite some time. And obviously the, uh, the, um, the maestro Carlos Vela. So yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, he's, he's been able to take that opportunity and, and capitalize and, and be the guy for them. Yeah. And shout out to Brian Rodriguez as well. He also qualifies for this award. I think he has two goals and seven assists. So another guy, another Uruguayan who also got the national team call up for the world cup qualifiers. So both of those guys were in the running, but I think if Diego Rossi doesn't win it this year, something's wrong with the voting. Like you said, I think goals hold precedent, but you were just talking about Daryl DK and if he had more games and he does look so efficient, it almost feels like because they took away the rookie of the year, it almost feels like maybe he will win rookie of the year. You know, maybe this Young Player of the Year award was made for Daryl DK. But if this award wasn't made for Daryl, who wins MLS Rookie of the Year? My answer still stays the same. <laughs> Daryl DK for the answers above. Understandable. For me, I'm going to go because I just want to play devil's advocate. I don't want to just bore you guys with some more Daryl DK talk, even though it's not boring. Guy's a very exciting player. Go watch him. Henry Kessler, his teammate when he was at UVA. So Henry Kessler has his team sitting in sixth in the Eastern Conference standings and has conceded the six least goals in the East with only 23 goals. And that is a drastic improvement from 57 goals conceded in 2019. You know, he only has one goal, no assists, but just that – ability to lock down that back line. He started, I believe, 18 of 21 games for Bruce Arena and New, New England Revolution. But to go from 57 goals conceded in 2019 to 23 in an unprecedented 2020 is phenomenal for me. 
And unfortunately, like defenders don't win these awards because like I just said, goals hold precedent. But if you can, if there's that big of a flip-flop, that's a, what is that, a 33-goal difference? That's insane. Yeah. I don't think that Henry Kessler gets enough credit for what he's done. Like you said, to, to turn the goal different or the, the goals against around like that from one season to the next, being a player that just got drafted, stepping into that center back line. Um, it's incredible. The kids, he's, he's a, an absolute force back there. Um, I think I saw something about his efficiency passing is off the charts. I mean, something like 70% long ball accuracy um, and others that I can't remember at the moment, but being a center back, you don't, you don't get that recognition and it is unfortunate, but I think even, even with that said, there's still people out there that, that know that information. And it's going to be between, if there was a rookie of the year award, it would be, t- be between these two guys. Yeah. I think it's nice. a tough decision to make because you have one guy on the field who's scoring goals. And then you have another guy on the field on the opposite end, who's preventing them. And, yeah, they, and they, they're all almost one in the same. They were back-to-back super draft picks, five and six, DK at five, Kessler at six. And math is hard, guys. I said there was a 33 goal differential from last year to this year. It's 34. I was one number off. Quick math, hard to do. But, yeah, picking the MLS Rookie of the Year this year is difficult. You know, I was looking through homegrowns and stuff like that, and there's just not a lot of numbers from rookies this year. The only other rookie that I found is Mauricio Pineda, the center back that came out of the University of North Carolina that plays for the Chicago Fire, and he has two goals and two assists. But goals conceded for a center back is big time. Kessler gave up 23. Pineda, well, he didn't give them up, but the Revs have given up 23, and Pineda and the Fire have given up 33. So you kind of have to weigh what you value more when you're looking at a center back or and the same thing with the forward, you know, you value the distribution more than the goal scoring, although you still value the goal scoring, but when that distribution is added in, you value that higher than no distribution. So the 2020 rookie of the year award would be difficult to pick. And there would only be a couple guys that would really be on that ballot. So, and with this unprecedented season, I understand why they went to the young player of the year, but, I have a bad feeling that Daryl DK is not going to win the young player of the year award. And he would have won the rookie of the year award and he's going to be slighted a trophy at the end of the season. Yeah, it's, it's very possible, but who knows? Anything is possible at this point. It's 2020. You ain't lying about that, Mike D. So we were just talking about how we value goals and we were talking about Diego Rossi. He is the golden boot winner. With Decision Day looming large on Sunday, the 2020 Golden Boot race is heating up. Diego Rossi leads the pack with 13 goals and one game remaining. Zardes is in second with 11 goals and two games remaining. Christian Pavon, Raul Ruiz Diaz, and Robert Barich all have 10 goals with two games left. Mike D, who do you see walking away with the 2020 Golden Boot on Sunday evening? Do we even know if Zardes is going to play? Player rotation, have no idea. That's something you got to take into account when you're making this guess, Mike D. So, so Zardes, we don't even know if he's gonna if he's gonna play because he's nursing a minor knee injury, and they've got playoffs right around the corner. So, for me, I'm taking Zardes right out of this because I don't think that he's gonna get a whole lot of playing time going into the MLS playoffs. Barich and Rui Diaz have a real shot at this, with like you said, you know, two games left and ten goals both apiece. Honestly. 
I'm just going to ride the wave and I'm going to say it's Rossi. He's coming. He's got some rest. You know, they didn't play their game. I believe it was on Sunday that they were supposed to play. He's rested. And I believe they face off against Portland, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And, and it's going to be a clash of, of two really good teams. And I think that Rossi, knowing that this is the last game of the season for him, he knows in the back of his head that he's the guy right now with 13 goals and people are coming after him for that golden boot. He may not want to say it, but he knows. I know that if it was me, I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, I got to score a couple more goals because I'm winning this golden boot. I'm going to win the golden boot. I'm going to win the MVP. And I'm going to go on and win la, 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 you know? So <laughs> he's going to go in, fired up, trying to get some buckets to separate himself from the pack. Um, but with that being said, you know, Rui Diaz coming off of, off of that COVID and, and Barrich kind of hitting a little bit of form here recently, they have a real shot to, to catch him if he doesn't really capitalize on that. I'm going with yeah. Rossi. Okay. Diego Rossi has scored one goal this year against their decision day opponent, the Portland Timbers. So he's already scored one. Maybe he'll bag another and extend that lead. Zardes and Barrich have not scored on their decision day opponents. The one player that has scored a couple goals against their decision day opponents Raul Ruiz Diaz has scored a brace in the Sounders 7-1 win over San Jose. He is three goals back, but he's already scored two against San Jose, and San Jose is a wide-open team. It looks like Seattle's really got their numbers, so I think Raul Ruiz Diaz really has a shot. And if he were to bag three goals and Rossi doesn't bag any in his last game, keep in mind Raul Ruiz Diaz has two games to do it, he holds the advantage in the tiebreaker. The tiebreaker goes to assists. Rossi has three. Rui Diaz has four. So at this moment, Rui Diaz, if he were to bag that hat trick and end up tying Rossi, he would hold the advantage. For me, it's Giassi Sardes. <laughs> I know we, we've talked about player rotation. The Columbus crew have two matches left. And so they're going to be playing against Orlando tomorrow, Wednesday, and they'll be playing against Atlanta on decision day. He has, we haven't faced Orlando yet, and that's going to be a tough ask. And we play Atlanta, who he did not score on. Mokhtar uh, scored the game winner and the 1-0 win against Atlanta earlier this season. So, yes, Giassi hasn't scored against either of these two teams. If it came down to a tiebreaker, if he scores two goals and Diego scores none in his last game, the tiebreaker goes to Giassi Zardes because he has one more assist. We did, we've been seeing a lot more of Christian Namath after he is signed for the Columbus crew. So I do believe we will be seeing him in these next two games, whether he's starting or whether he's coming in as a sub. I do believe one of these games we're going to probably rest Giassi. And it will probably be the Atlanta game, to be honest with you. Depending on how Sunday goes, if somebody locks up the supporter shield, okay, lock the brakes. We've locked ourselves into a home game in our first round game in the MLS playoffs. So let's pump the brakes. Let's rest our players. We've locked in our spot. But I think that in these next two games, I think Giassi gets it done. Giassi's a proven goal scorer, and he is a goal scorer. He he's, he kind of reminds me of, like, I always say, I think I've said it before, Isaac Carrington. Shout out to you, Isaac Carrington. But, you know, his touch is a little bit wonky. He's not the best hold-up player. He's no Josie Altador who's super technical. But he does have a nose for the goal. So I think somehow, some way, I'm wearing my Columbus Crew shirt. I've got to give the crew some kind of shout in this thing. 
I'm giving it to Giassi Zardes. He's got two games to score two goals. But if Diego Rossi goes in and scores one or two against Portland or gets an assist and it goes to a tiebreaker, it could go to Diego. But I'm going Giassi. Go crew, baby. Go crew, baby, for sure. <laughs> I would love to pick him. I just think that, like you said, they're going to rest him. Christian Nemeth has been improving as we've, as we've seen him late. He puts himself in really good positions in the, in the box, makes really good runs. And I think that they're going to let him play a little bit more, get him a little bit more up to speed. I think Zardes has to come on just to get some game time minutes before the playoffs. But I agree with you that they're going to, they're going to rest him one of those two games. Yeah. And Namath has come in and absolutely, I don't mean this to be a crew segment whatsoever, but he's stolen Fernando Adi's spot. And I don't think Fernando Adi actually ever really had a spot. To the crew. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, Fernando Adi has been great in past years. It's, I think it's just his time unfortunately, and trying to come in and fill the shoes of Jossie when Jossie's been doing so well this year, scoring goals is kind of a difficult ask. And Christian Nemeth to come in and uh, help out, you know, a little bit. He's got kind of a little bit more pep in his step and a little bit more nose for goal. So I think that's been nice to have. It's a little refreshing. Yeah. So since we are talking about the crew, on Wednesday night, a guaranteed home playoff game is on the line. The third-place Columbus crew will travel to Orlando to play fourth-place Orlando City SC. The crew, who are finally healthy, are coming off of their biggest win of the year, beating Philadelphia Union 2-1 at home, while Daryl DK can't stop scoring for the Lions with three goals in his last three appearances. This is the first matchup between these two teams in 2020, but the crew lead the all-time series with five wins to Orlando's four, and that includes there's also three draws. Mike D, what are your thoughts on this matchup? And give me your prediction for the final score. Chuck, I'm a little nervous about this one. I, I was doing some research on the crew's away games. I'm not sure that the crew have won an away game this year. They have not. That worries me because they're going to Orlando and they're going to play Orlando team that they have not seen yet with a striker who is tearing it up right now. So for me – like I said, they've struggled on the road. Um, the good news is, like you just said, they're coming off of a huge win against Philly. This, this was, for me, a huge momentum changer for the crew. This should have given them that confidence to look back and say, you know what, this is who we are. This is the team that we have been all season, and we need to keep that form especially with the limited number of games that we have left. We need to ride this wave into the playoffs, and we need to be really strong against this Orlando team, especially because we're going on the road. We need to keep our shape, and we need to be defensively strong like we have been for most of the season this year. Uh, if they don't, it, it could get bad. They haven't seen somebody really, in my opinion, yet like Daryl DK. Um, I think the biggest guy, I mean, obviously, aside from, from Josie, um, but really, aside from Josie, they haven't seen someone big and strong and, and fast like that. And they so, just they in Philly, they just played against Sergio Santos, and he is a big, physical, fast guy. He, he's not he's not as big as as Daryl DK or or, Gia, or uh, Josie Altador, um, in my opinion. Uh, he just does. He's kind of I don't know. I just don't think he's as as a thick of a body as and, and as a physical player as. As these as these Daryl DKs and these Josie Altadors, the guys are ready ready to just 
blow through you. Um, and I don't think that, that Sergio Santos has that, uh, has that, that ferocity about him, but um, yeah, I think that they, they need to figure out a way to be defensively um, defensively strong and keep their shape like they have been. And, and that'll help, you know, stop disrupt some of that play through Pereira in the midfield making the connections with DK up top and forcing them to go out wide. I think defending through the air is probably going to be the better tactic in this one. Yeah. My biggest criticisms of the last crew game were that Johnson just, he didn't appear to have his head in the game, had a number of mistakes, gave up the PK that they ended up converting on. Didn't look like the defender of the year candidate that he's been all year long. And even Darlington Nagby and Lucas Elrion didn't look completely up to speed. They looked a little bit hesitant. Darlington Nagby didn't make his way out of difficult situations as much as he usually does. Lucas Elrion held onto the ball entirely too long and lost the ball a lot more than we've seen him do it earlier in the season. So I need to see a little bit more urgency out of all three of those guys. Thank God we had Eloy Room back there. With saying that, this game is even bigger for us because if we win this game, we're guaranteed at least one home playoff game. If we don't win this game or if Orlando wins this game, they will be guaranteed at least one home playoff game. So if I'm the Columbus crew and we don't win this game, New York City FC is on our ass or vice versa with Orlando. New York City is right there and they are ready to come get that spot for a home game in a baseball outfield. And that's a difficult that's a difficult playing pitch, you know. So I think this is one of, you know, we got Philly and Toronto playing for the Supporter Shield this weekend, and there is still a chance for the Columbus crew. And because of goal differential per game for Orlando, I don't think they're really in it. But this game is now the biggest game of the year for both of these teams. This may be one of the biggest games of the year in the MLS. Columbus crew versus Orlando, we haven't seen it yet. And I think all eyes should be on that game tomorrow night, I believe, at 7.30. Um, but, Mike D., I don't believe you gave me a prediction for a final score. I know you were hesitant about the crew because they haven't won on the road. But give me something. Yeah, I didn't give you – I actually totally forgot about the, uh, the score line there. Um, if I have to give a score line – hmm. I'm going to say 2-1 crew. Same score that they beat Philly with. Oh, this is a tough one. And I have to try to be as unbiased as possible. Oh, no. My response was totally biased. Absolutely. <laughs> there was – I mean, if I was going to be unbiased, I was going to say that they're probably going to lose. But I'm not I'm, – I'm being completely biased on this one. I'm going with the 1-1 draw. Both teams are coming away with the point. That's so safe. That's so safe of you. Uh, uh, yes, it is safe, but I mean, it's it's a realistic thing that could possibly happen. They're the two of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference. They're tied on points, and anything can happen. I mean, Philly could go out and bust it wide open on a Toronto team five zero. You know what I mean? Like anything can happen. Yeah, anything can happen. But I'm picking a one one draw. You're picking two one Columbus Crew win. So we'll see what happens. We'll see who's right. All right, then. We'll probably both be wrong. The Columbus crew will hopefully win, and that is bias blem speaking. But our last topic of the night, Mike D. Today, Tuesday, November 3rd, Greg Berhalter announced his 24-man roster for the November camp in Europe. 
The team will play two matches, one against Wales and the other versus Panama. Only European-based Americans or dual Nats were selected in this 24. It seems as though Greg Berhalter is using this opportunity to captize some of these younger, talented dual Nat guys. As the player pool continues to grow, how concerned should MLS U.S. men's national team players be about their spots in the current player pool? Very, very concerned, Chuck. Very concerned. I know that Greg Berhalter came out and said that they didn't select MLS players on purpose, something about they didn't want to disrupt the playoffs. Uh, there was also COVID traveling restrictions, things of that nature. So I understand why. But uh, you saw it, just like I saw it, and just like the world saw it. There's some studs on that roster. There is some studs on that roster. Um, not to mention, obviously, the studs from the MLS, but they should be very worried because this trend is not going in the opposite direction. This trend is only going to keep happening where we see players from the MLS developing and then leaving and going and being further developed at teams like Barcelona, teams like Bayern Munich, at teams like Russia Dortmund, things of that nature. So it's only going to get worse in terms of players in the MLS that have a U.S. men's national team spot. So they should be very, very worried. Yeah, and this goes to show, even though, like you said, he didn't bring over MLS players for a reason, but this goes to show kind of where Greg's head is at and what he wants to do for this upcoming World Cup in 2022. And so if I'm a U.S. men's national team player that plays within the MLS, I think I am trying to make a move to, like Reggie Cannon did, to Boa Vista or even smaller teams to then make my way up into a bigger squad. You know, I think that's kind of the model and that's kind of what Greg Berhalter wants. We have a lot of young players, Weston McKinney at Juve, Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. Like I just said, Reggie Cannon at Boa Vista, Gio Reyna at Borussia Dortmund. Like we want our young players. Yes, we want to develop them here, but we want to move them overseas to play against the best in most elite talent because that's what they'll be doing on an international level when they get called up into these moments to put the American flag, you know, on their, on their chest and they're going to be repping that red, white, and blue on their shirt. And we want those players to be experienced in those situations. We don't want these guys just playing in the MLS. Our best bet to have success internationally is to get our players overseas. And that is exactly what Greg is showing with this. That is kind of the model that he wants to have. And I think Greg has done a really good job about monitoring and working with these players as they move over to these clubs. You know, him being the U.S. men's national team coach, he wants to make sure, like the Brendan Aronson thing. Jim Curtin was saying, yeah, he wanted the best, what was best for Brendan Aronson. But I'm sure Greg Berhalter was involved in that as well. Like, this kid is going to be a staple in the U.S. men's national team for years to come. So I need you guys to play him like this I need him and and he wants to make sure he goes to the right team that has the right style and things like that so in saying that and making sure that the the players do go to the right places I think that he's also like I said he's trying to give some of these dual nat guys the guy that just played for uh Valencia who plays for Valencia the 17 year old I can't remember his name off the top of my head he has played for England, the England youth national teams, but so readily he was like, Oh yeah, sure. I'll come to this, this call up camp. And I think Greg is trying to 
bring them into this experience and make them feel at home. And I know Greg has talked to these people's families and they feel comfortable, these dual national team players coming in and training and coming to these camps with the U.S. national team. And if we can land some of these guys, that is freaking huge for the U.S. men's national team. We're so used to seeing a lot of players' names that are, you know, on MLS rosters, which is great. Like, if they're good players, they're good players. It doesn't matter where they play. But when we have some of our best young players playing overseas across the pond with some of the biggest named teams in the world, then, yeah, I'm going to pick them because they're playing against the best guys day in, day out. Yeah, I mean, I think right now there's obviously some staples that are in the U.S. men's national team. Um, but yeah, for the most part, the tides are changing and some of these senior guys that have been on the national team, not going to name any names, but they might want to, they might want to check over their shoulder there and step it up a bit, step it up a little bit more and really show, especially the young guys, because they're showing it. The young guys are showing we are here to play and we didn't make it in the last world cup. So it's time to do something different. And I think that that's what's coming. Yeah, there's some change. And I think there's a lot of hope around the U.S. men's national team fan base, more hope than we've had in the past four years. And we haven't seen international soccer in almost a year for the U.S. men's national team. So today felt like Christmas looking at this roster. And you see all European or, you know, all Americans in Europe-based 24-man roster. And it was just really good to see. And a lot of them are young guys that are getting – I think there's seven guys that are going to get their first caps, seven or nine guys that are going to get their first caps from the U.S. men's national team. So that's exciting to see. And if we can cap tie those guys and keep them with the U.S. men's national team, hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. But the one thing you talked on, it's going to probably be my last question, Mike D, is I saw the quote as well that Greg Berhalter came out and said that, you know, he didn't want to disrupt the MLS, MLS playoffs, but To me, I think the U.S. men's national team and the MLS should operate as two separate entities and that if the U.S. men's national team really thinks they have U.S. men's national team caliber players within the MLS, they should try to pull them over despite the playoffs because we've seen that happen with the South American teams like I talked about earlier with Brian Rodriguez and Diego Rossi. So if we have those talented players, yeah, granted Greg is an ex-crew coach, but I think they should operate as two separate entities. And if you want a guy from the MLS and give him a chance, give him a chance. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't stop you from pulling those guys. I think that there's a little bit of an agenda, like you said. They, they wanted to get some of these, these dual set guys and wanted to get some of these European players together so that they could see how they gel, how they mesh, and um, then take it from there. But – I mean, I'd have to agree with you. Yeah. But uh, hopefully within the next year, we will be seeing some of these MLS players integrated back into the camps and we will get a happy mix of Euro-based Americans and MLS-based Americans as well. So we'll get the best of both worlds, I hope. And I think Greg's doing a great job. And I look forward to continuing to watch what Greg Berhalter, the ex-Columbus crew coach, does for the U.S. men's national team. It's been a while since we felt good about these kinds of things. I'm ready to see the red, white, and blue. Yeah, baby. Ready to, I'm ready to you know, shock the world with the World Cup, man. It's coming. Wouldn't that be nice? All right, Mike, do you have any closing thoughts? I do not have any closing thoughts. Covered a lot of topics tonight. We've got some big games coming up in the next week. 
and I'm excited to see how the season ends, who wins the Supporter Shield, and how the playoffs pan out. I am excited for the same exact things. When we first sought out on this adventure of podcasting, we started at the very beginning of this year. And so that was in February. And it's crazy now that we're actually in November and we've withstood this whole COVID thing. And we were searching for topics for a couple of weeks. And we had initially, or not initially, we eventually got into interviewing a bunch of big name players. We've had Alexi Lawless, Brendan Aronson, Cole Bassett. I could go on and on and on about the people that we've interviewed, Jillian Sackovitz of the MLS call-up. And it's been an amazing ride so far, and it's only going to continue. And, but we've, we've finally made it to the MLS playoffs. And it, it feels good that we've made it through the full regular season, and next up is the playoffs. And I hope and pray that we can get through this, unlike the USL. So hopefully the MLS has got a, a good plan, and I can't wait to see this year finish. Mike D for Poopus as well. He's not here this week. Everybody, thanks for listening. Go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, MLS Gun Wild. Subscribe, rate, review on anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next week, this has been Season 2, Episode 15 of MLS Gun Wild. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. You guys stay home, stay safe, stay healthy. Peace. Peace.